The Highlander Podcast is brought to you by Outdoor Product Design and Development, a four-year undergraduate degree focused on training the next generation of product creators for the sports and outdoor industries. Learn more at opdd.usu.edu. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Outdoor Recreation Archive, a collaboration between OPDD and USU Special Collections to preserve the history and print materials of the people, products, and brands of the outdoor industry. Follow the archive at Outdoor Rec Archive on Instagram. The Highlander Podcast is sponsored by the Utah Outdoor Association, a business association focused on elevating Utah's outdoor industry through educational programming and events. Their membership consists of Utah's outdoor manufacturers, retailers, outfitters, and guides. Member benefits include networking opportunities, recruitment of talent, and brand promotion. More information about volunteering and membership is available at utahoutdoor.org. On this episode of the History of Gear, we talk with Holly Roberge and Stephanie Schaff, Senior Archive Specialists at Reebok, about their entry into the world of archiving, their day-to-day roles, and the importance of archival work within Reebok. Welcome back, everyone. This is Chase, and joining me today, I have two guests from Reebok, Holly Roberge and Stephanie Schaff, um, both Senior Archive Specialists at Reebok. Is, is that right? That is correct, yes. Well, great. Um, thank you both for taking the time to talk a little bit. Um, this is part of our History of Gear series, and more specifically, our series where we talk to corporate archivists within the sports and outdoor space to just learn a little bit more about how you got into this very specialized um, career, what seems very specialized, um, and more specifically in, into the sports and outdoor industries. Um, so I guess, first of all, do, do you, either of you have a connection to the outdoors or sports? Like growing up like what was your connection like to to sport or the outdoors and or was there a connection at all well i can kick us off here um so like jay said and my name's stephanie um so i actually grew up in billings montana that's actually where i'm here right now with work from home for the pandemic um so we were always camping and hiking and fly fishing i was in a fly fishing like tie class in middle school, which was really fun. So you got to tie your own flies, which is really cool. Um, so we we're always outside and, and doing stuff outdoors, which is always really cool. So that's my, being from Montana is my connection. <laughs> so hi, so I'm Holly. Um, so I've lived in Massachusetts my entire life, live about 40 miles outside of Boston. Boston is very, very sports oriented, Um, you know, Red Sox, Celtics, all that stuff. Um, Definitely grew up watching sports, um, playing sports, softball, volleyball, tennis, things like that. So definite interest there. Did you both always have an interest in product, for for example? I mean, you, you, you participated in these activities, like, I mean, even like just participating in those sports did you take a particular like interest in product itself was that something that you noticed early on i think definitely appreciate it like you can tell when you have like when you're hiking you can tell when you have good shoes and when you don't like it definitely makes a huge difference so maybe not necessarily like being aware that i was more prone towards product but it definitely looking back, it's now like, oh yeah, that definitely makes sense. 
Right. At the time, you're not thinking about where, what is the story? How did it come about? How was it made? Things like that. As a, as a child, I hadn't really thought about that at that point. Right. When, when did the interest in history or archival materials start for either of you? Did it start around the same time as that interest with product or these kind of like parallel interests happening around the same time or did one come after the other? Say probably the interest in history for me definitely came first. I was, like many children, obsessed with ancient Egypt when I was little. I was determined I was going to be an Egyptologist as of like third grade on. Like that's what I was going to do. I was interested in history and ancient history. So that was definitely the route I went down. I was I loved going to museums and history museums. And so definitely more drawn towards the history aspect of it. And it wasn't until I got older that I kind of evolved into more, but Early on, it was definitely like, let's go look at some mummies and some pyramids and stuff like that. So, so for me, um, I mean, I always go back to this, that about uh, dating myself now, but 20 plus years ago, um, I, I just fell in love with genealogy and family history. So I just that and there started my own personal archive, you know, so collecting um, records and photographs and things like that, starting to document and track, you know, on my, my family tree database and things like that. So for me, it was a very personal thing. And I hadn't really thought about it as, as a career path or anything. It was more personal to me. So where, how did it go from a personal interest to a career? How does some, how does one find themselves working in the archive space? I know there's very, there's, there's pathways, there's formal training. Not everyone goes that route. What was that like for you, Holly? I mean, talked about the personal side of it, but how did you make that? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, especially for corporate archives, I'm not really sure there's this, this clear pathway to get there. So for me, just over 10 years ago, I started volunteering at um, Historical Society, a small museum. So kind of worked my way up. Um, then I got a position working. So so kind of the, the Historical Society, the really old stuff, you know, 1600s, 1700s, really cool, hanging out with the red rot, things like that. Um, and then I got a position short-term position working at a corporate bank. So that was really my first exposure um, for that. So that kind of opened the door um, to see what corporate archives were all about, which is a totally different machine, I think, than, you know, historical society. So. Mm-hmm. Stephanie, what about you? Um, mine, weirdly, is a little bit more, like, straightforward. Um, so I actually worked with footwear for almost 10 years. That was, like, my first job growing up, and I basically got the job and stood, stayed there. I worked at Famous Footwear, and so I was already really familiar with shoes. And then uh, for undergrad, I went for history and then decided I didn't really want to teach. So trying to find something else that I could do with a bachelor's in history, and I stumbled upon library and information sciences, and that led me to archives. And so after a search, it kind of took me to Simmons College, which at the time, now it's Simmons University, uh, was the best school in the country for it. And so applied and that brought me to Boston. And then luckily on, they have a really great like school job line available for students with like jobs posted specifically for archives and libraries and museums. And I saw the Reebok one on there and I was like, really terrified to actually apply because it sounded way too good to be true. 
And so my roommate finally talked me into applying and then it ended up just being perfect. It was like what I've been doing for the last 10 years, what I'm going to school for. It was just like the perfect combo. So I got very lucky, right place, right time for sure for me. That's awesome. I'm curious, what does that first position look like? I think the Reebok archive is different from so many other archives. And we've interviewed a number of other archivists where they're a team of one. Reebok archive seems very different in that, wow, you have a senior archivist. That that must imply that there's a junior archivist somewhere, right? Uh, or or a, a more people involved than just a team of one uh, trying to preserve a company's history. So what, what does that initial position look like uh, versus you know, what you, you both do day to day now in the senior archive specialist roles. So we are actually a very small, but mighty team. Um, so I am the senior archive specialist. I oversee the footwear and packaging collection. Um, and I do that half. And then Holly. <laughs> so I'm the senior archive specialist and I manage the apparel and accessories collection. And then we have our boss, Aaron Narlock, who is the senior archive manager. And so we are a team of three at this point. <laughs> well, a team of three is that that still seems really significant. Like that's that's a big team, I feel like within corporate archives. I'm sure there's other companies that have much larger teams. Um, but everyone so far that I've talked to, it's it's one person that maybe worked for the company for a long time and they were kind of the 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 keeper of, of the materials, and then naturally they became the, the brand archivist. Um it, it seems really cool that within Reebok, there's like institutional support for this in that you have multiple positions that you're dedicated to doing this work. Like how important is that for both of you, uh, for the work that you're doing that this is a permanent position. This isn't someone who's in design, who's also taking care of the archive because they're interested in it or they think it's cool or it helps, you know, the, the design team. How, how, how cool is that for you to be in like a permanent position? How does that help the work? I think it's extremely important. I mean, we are still technically a very young archive. We started as a project in the fall of 2014. Literally, it was I was the very first intern that we had. I started January of 2015 and my manager at the time. And we started with about 10 shoes. And that was about it. I mean, Reebok really kind of looked at what we had around the globe, decided we have things all over. We want to bring everything together. We want to really professionalize it. We want to understand what we have. We have this amazing heritage. I mean, we date back to 1895. So there's a lot of materials out there and an amazing story. We really want to make sure that we're understanding that in order to bring it into the future. So I think just the sheer amount of information and materials out there definitely justified having an actual professional team. And I started, and then a few months later, we had another intern start, and then we got Holly to start, and it's just, it's grown and evolved since then. It's skyrocketing. <laughs> any, any thoughts there, Holly, from you, from your perspective? Yeah, I mean, this, to me, this has just been a dream, because how often can you say, I mean, I didn't start with the team at the very beginning, I joined early February of 2016. But I mean, it was still at the very early stages as well. So when I joined, um, you know, helping out cataloging processing where I could, um, the apparel collection really had not been a focus at all. So, I mean, it really was starting from the ground up with that. So assigning the object numbers and slowly accessioning. Um, and then, you know, when we, we moved headquarters, um, being involved with, 
designing the space, planning the space, things like that. I mean, that doesn't happen very often in somebody's career working in an archive. So, I mean, I, I feel extremely grateful to uh, to be a part of that for sure. Right. Well, you mentioned moving headquarters. I know one of the things that puts um, archives in jeopardy, I feel like, um, is when when the company has to move or the company gets acquired or sold. And I'm not asking you to comment on Reebok being being sold, um, but that, that seems to be one of those times where I think if you're in the archive space, you get a little worried. You know, if you don't have a permanent position, you don't have a permanent team, but I think that's the, the cool thing about your collection is there's there, there's a team in place doing this work. It's not just one person who's got a box of stuff. And, and as soon as the company gets acquired, the new team comes in and says, what's all this old stuff? We got to you know, clean house. Um, so I think that's that's got to feel good being a part of, of, of a team that is going to be around for a long time. Um, and, and it definitely shows like, Oh, sorry. (laughs) I was just going to say, it just shows how important like networking and really connecting with your colleagues are because at that time we had been around for a little bit before we moved to our headquarters in Seaport. So we had made some of those connections and we were able to connect with the right people to save the right materials. And they knew that we were there. So they knew to save materials, which was amazing and made it a lot easier of a move for sure. So definitely connecting with the right people. Totally. Um, I guess, you know, you said neither of you was there when the archive was created, Um, but do you know a little bit about the origins of the collection? Like what inspired that? A lot of um, other companies have said, okay, well, it's our 50 year mark. So maybe we should, you know, create something more formal. So a lot of these archives come together around the anniversary of some sort. Um, what, what was kind of the, the motivation or the catalyst for this collection being created? Do you, do you happen to know that? I don't think there was a like a specific moment where it's like, okay, it's this anniversary, we need to do this. I think it was really understanding, okay, we have so much stuff. It's all over the world. We have no idea what we have. Okay, we need to bring it together and really understand what we got, where is it, and how do we take care of it? Um, so our original founding member, uh, Claire Afford, uh, she actually worked in the Adidas archive and she moved over to kind of help start the Reebok archive. Um, and so I think taking a lot of learnings from the Adidas archive was very helpful in kind of getting us going and getting us started and kind of moving forward from there. Right. Well, well I guess a question on the the actual role of an archivist and the role of your archive in particular. I feel like different archives fill up, uh, fall under different parts of an organization. Some archives fall under communications and marketing, and it's used more as a marketing tool. Some archives fall under under product, and it's really used to inform product decisions, and some are a little bit of both. Um, I guess for, for you both, how do you spend most of your time? Is it a lot of finding? Is it a lot of serving, um, you know, fulfilling requests from marketing and, and product? I guess, how is the archive used and, and how does that translate into the work that you do day to day? So we really, our, our, our main audience really is our colleagues. It's internal. Um, Of course, we do help sometimes with marketing and things like that as well. But we're really embedded with the product creation process for sure. Um, So it's really falling in line with what the brand 
priorities are, creative direction, seasonal direction, and things like that. So we really have a focus. Um, so I will start doing research on a particular theme that they may be focusing on, you know, for apparel. Steph will uh, then focus on the footwear as well. And it's kind of curating um, stories and whatnot for handovers to help inform this product creation that, that is happening. Definitely. And then beyond that, we're also assisting all the markets around the globe if they have specific questions. We're helping with legal and IP. We're helping with HR and onboarding all of our team members as well. And we've really grown from being kind of this project on the outside into really being at the heart of the company and really having a lot of things start in the archive, which is incredible to see the transformation. You know, we just published an interview that we did with Colin Berg, who's the brand historian at, at Eddie Bauer. I'm sure you're both familiar with, with him and the work that he's done. But I know in that interview, he talked a lot about how every new hire comes through the archive. And that's a, a critical, you know, uh, piece to the work that he does is they, they really want everyone to have a connection to the history of the company. It sounds like that's similar in that way where you're the heart. Um, you want people to have a connection to that history, that heritage of the company. Um, how, what, what do you both feel? I, I've, I've been trying to figure out how to best phrase this, um, but like there's like a real power that comes with being a brand that has a history um, and, and not just like a financial um, impact. And I think, like having your history put together, there are some financial benefits that could come from that or some return on investment of, you know, investing in an archive. But, you know, do you see the power of, of that, like this cultural currency of like having your history intact? Like, is, is that something that you talk about as a team is the importance that you do, like some of this, the intangible, intangible benefits of having a collection put together? I can kick us out. Um, I think it's extremely important, especially nowadays where storytelling is the main basis for why people choose products. Yes, they look at the benefits of the actual product itself, but a lot of times it's the story behind it. Like, why is it the way that it is? And I think really understanding where we've been kind of fuels that future and fuels kind of the design. Aaron likes to say rocket ship uh, to kind of take off and, you know, um, understanding why technology was made, how it was made, is set how they talked about it, I think is huge. Um, I'm just going to start rambling because I like to, I talk when I what to say. So Holly, please take over. <laughs> Um, so, I mean, you, you mentioned the storytelling aspect as well. So, I mean, we really do use that to onboard. Um, so it's kind of contextualizing our history and really helping everybody kind of get this visual to see what was going on at the time. So it'll be whether it's through the product, you know, of the footwear and the apparel or the advertisements or the commercials and things like that. So it's a great way for us to, to curate this um, for our colleagues and to onboard those that are new uh, joining the brand as well. It, it's a great way to get everyone on the same page, right? Like moving in the same direction, understanding like what made the company what it is today or, or what made it su successful in the past and continuing that thread. Um, into the future, I think is, is really powerful. Um, how much of your time is, is split between 
it, it sounds like there's a lot of you know fulfilling requests of the design team and working with them and, and helping them with their needs. How much of it is finding? Like how much are you, it's, it's a young archive. How much of it is being on eBay, watching those eBay alerts for a Reebok product? How much of it is trying to find stuff and beating out all the hype beasts and sneakerheads? try to get and stuff is is that a component to the role is finding and gathering materials still or do you feel like you have a lot of what you you need oh there there will always be you know acquiring um so i mean we do have an acquisitions budget and yes we do search on ebay and depop and etsy and whatnot also through networking or former employees and things like that um but we do you know we don't have endless amount of storage, that's for sure. Um, so we do have to keep it tight. Um, so we really do have a collection criteria. So um, of course we wanna look for, you know, heritage running, uh, those key pieces um, throughout brand milestones and whatnot. Also, we look to our colleagues, um, the designers that know, okay, there was this story that you might not be aware of. We, we need to preserve that as well. We also want to get key categories, the sports that we've been in, but we can't, we can't keep everything. That's for sure. Right. How, I, I, I kind of shifting gears a little bit. How is it um, having you know, Joe Foster still still alive, one of the co-founders of the company? How is that having some of those key individuals still around? Like how important is that for an archive to have those people, those voices, um, you know, and to have access to them for oral history, some of that like institutional knowledge that not everything's written down, right? Not a, everything is in, you know, an object form. Um, how important is that? And how cool is that to be able to have access to, to those oral histories, some of those early designers or founders or people like that? Right. I, that's what I was going to say that um, with the oral history. So, I mean, Joe Foster, many other former employees, I mean, they still have a huge, huge passion for this brand and they're always willing to share and talk to us, donate product. Um, so we have done past oral histories um, and things like that. So we, we've had Joe, Joe Foster came to the archive, the previous headquarters, uh, and he did an interview with us. I think he spent three days um, at headquarters with us. Um, we, we brought out products. So he kind of told stories about some of the really old original pieces, um, which was great. It was so much fun. Yeah, it's amazing getting to hear everybody's perspective of what was going on at the time. And some people remember things differently and kind of trying to piece those pieces together and match it up with what we know is really fascinating and gotten to speak with designers and developers and marketers from the past. I mean, we've talked with Paul Fireman and Angel Martinez, and it's it's really fascinating kind of seeing all the different levels of the different people that used to be here and that still really love and care about the brand. You, you both come with a background, like a, a, a obviously a real interest in history and, and um, I, like I, what I think I'm trying to form this question the right way. I think like your interest in history, um, Stephanie, yours like Egypt, right? From childhood, um, ancient history and, and, and uh, Holly, personal history as well as like regional history. Um, I, I guess... I guess the approach, like if you're a museum curator of ancient artifacts in Egypt, like there's extra care that goes into those very delicate items. Same with, you know, early, um, you know, United States history. Like, 
with with that in mind, like, how, was that important for you to be able to like bring that appreciation of like ancient objects or old objects to like more recent history, like like Reebok product, or that attention to detail, that care for items? Does that make sense? That that question. So I think, yeah, physical objects just have such a power around them. Like seeing a picture is great, but seeing it in person and just seeing those memories start flashing through people's heads when they come through the archive. Like, oh, I remember when I was in middle school wearing a shoe playing basketball and you can just see all of those memories running through. That's my personal favorite part is seeing all of those come back or people saying, oh, I designed that shoe and getting so excited about everything. Physical objects, they just hold so much memory in them and like even for us like if it has like dirt or scuff marks or if that's part of the story so we don't like taking away those because that that elevates the piece for us so I think I love the physical products personally that's my favorite thing that's what I always want to play with is I just want to be with the physical products but it's it makes a huge difference seeing something in person and holding it compared to just seeing it in a picture that's awesome I, yeah i was i i i think what what i was trying to i don't know i i was just thinking about like how companies you know 50 year old companies sometimes they just you know or 100 year old companies even but we don't think of them as necessarily old right and especially in the archives world you you probably think of archives as taking care of ancient history and but i i think it's it's i think people are starting to recognize that oh, if it's easier to try to gather these items, these objects and preserve them now versus having to go and scour things online or, or find them um, and try to bring them home. Um, it's just interesting that, you know, whether something is a 50-year-old shoe or a thousand-year-old, you know, object, I think within a company, there's there's an opportunity to give it like the same amount of care and attention and, and treat it, you know, as if it has those memories, like you said, I mean, it both can be very powerful. And I think companies are starting to recognize that, wow, like, you know, 50 years is still, that's a lot of time, right? And there's a lot of memory and, and importance to those materials. So I think it's important. It's, it's just cool to see this focus uh, more that the industry is shifting more or, or focusing more on, on preserving its history. But um, I guess for, I think one of the constant challenges that archives face is, especially with a company that's still producing product is what do you preserve as you're producing it? Cause like the shoes that are coming off the line or the clothing um, or the packaging that will become history as soon as it's, you know, off, off the, out of the factory. So how much of your time is also trying to preserve or figure out what we preserve that we're producing every year or every season? Yeah, so we, like I mentioned earlier, we, we can't keep everything. Um, so we generally try to keep about one to 3%, maybe closer to the one to 2%, <laughs> I would say. Um, and it's great because it really will show help show the evolution too. So some of the product that's coming out is influenced by past design. So we really want to show that um, or if they're do retro product or something like that as well. So especially if we have like new collaborators or new partners, making sure we're capturing that first season um, so we can show kind of how it evolves and grows over time. Yes, we definitely depend on our colleagues, though, a lot, especially for new products, because 
it, we do produce quite a bit of materials. And so really making sure we understand, okay, what did they see as the most important stories or what are the things that didn't actually end up making it to the final line? Were there things that they, like a new technique or something that was super cool, but didn't actually make it We want to make sure we're capturing those as well. So networking and really partnering with our designers and our colleagues is, is huge in terms of future acquisitions. Mm-hmm. So what does that process like look like day to day? I've talked to an archivist at a, at a different company and he told me it's my responsibility. We, we have our, our archives budget and we have to buy one of everything that comes out from our own company to make sure that I get it. So it's very much on them to make sure that they get the objects. Um, I've heard in other companies that, okay, the department's just naturally, you know, they know to send things to the archive. Is it a little bit of both for you? Are you kind of the ones that are pushing design to send you things? What does that look like? It's, I would say it's a little bit of both, but we definitely, definitely need to be proactive. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely an evolving process. And we're still kind of connecting the dots and trying to find easier ways to like make that process a bit more seamless, but it's a little bit of both for sure. <laughs> as, as a designer, developer, people in product, like your focus is on the future, right? You're thinking a couple seasons ahead. You're not necessarily thinking, oh, what I produced needs to go to the collection. Or um, I, I think that's another you know, powerful aspect of having an archives team, right? It's like you have people who can, can think about this and their, their primary focus is, you know, kind of being on the outside and on the inside a little bit you know, making sure that, that, um, you know, you, you, you pull items of significance versus waiting on the designers who are thinking about just getting something, you know, on, on the shelves and maybe don't necessarily have the time to sit down and reflect on what they're doing as significant or archive worthy, which I, I think is interesting. Um, why do you keep doing this work? Like what, what keeps you going to work or, going to your home office um, every day in the case of, you know, the world that we're in right now, uh, working from home. Um, I guess what drives you? What, what keeps you interested in this archive space? Um, I mean, I, I think for me, like I said earlier, you know, I first got my start doing, um, you know, volunteer work and whatnot at the historical societies and small museum. Uh, But just this working at a brand and at a corporate archive has just opened my mind to the possibilities. And just being a part of this product creation process is just so exciting. And there's always going to be product that needs to be made as well. Um, So just continuing um, to support our colleagues and where the brand is going to me is just it's so exciting every single season it's a different story a different creative direction um so there's always always work to be done yeah that's for sure like it's something different every single day like you log in and you don't know if you're going to be doing one thing and then oh wait somebody's coming in sort of thing it keeps it interesting it keeps it exciting there's always something new to learn there's new things to research there's new things to discover and understanding all of those stories and you know, being able to see an archive go from literally 10 shoes to 10,000 shoes, like it's a huge milestone and not something that everybody gets to experience. And this is my first corporate job. This is my first actual archive job. And I'm very passionate and feel extremely lucky to be where I am. And at this point, I'm having way too much fun to go anywhere else. (laughs) 
That's awesome. Yeah, I, I kind of feel a similar way when we, when we are able to work with maybe an early employee of a company or, or find a collection that is entirely unique, one of a kind, and and secure it, that they, they donate it to us. And I have that feeling of knowing, okay, it's not going to get thrown away, right? Like, it's not going to just disappear from memory. It's going to be here at the university where people can access it and appreciate it and study it. Like, we saved it. Um, like, that's the feeling that I have is we saved that thing from just disappearing from memory. Um, I get a high off of that. And I imagine that you both kind of feel the same way, whether it's finding an item or helping a designer, like, connect the dots and, and like, get inspired by something from the collection. Like, I, I feel that way. And it sounds like both of you feel similar. Yeah. Um, I have photographic evidence of how excited I can get. (laughs) We had a donation from E. Scott Morris, who's a prolific designer in the 90s, and he sent numerous boxes over, and we had somebody kind of invited a bunch of the designers in to kind of come and watch the unboxing of everything. And one of the pieces that we found... I, I lost it. I got, I, I screamed. I was really excited. So yeah, it's, it's documented how excited I can get when we find these. That's incredible. I don't blame you. That's, it's, it's an exciting space. And I don't know if that's what people think of when they initially think of archives. Right. Um, I mean, some people think uh, like one of Dave, um, Dave Moore from Carhartt, you know, he had a big Indiana Jones poster on his wall. That's kind of how he thought archives were. So he had a different image of it. Some of people think it's like a stuffy, you know, basement of, of a library. Um, whereas I think it can be a little bit of both and more so on the, you know, you're finding something really significant or you're helping, helping people discover the past. I think there's a lot of excitement in it. So I don't blame you for, I, I get that. I, I feel the same way. So are there, um, you kind of mentioned this with, you know, some recent items that came in, uh, but is there like a prized possession of the archive? Like what's the holy grail of, of the Reebok collection? Is there one item or a, a series of items that are most special or, or even your favorites? It doesn't have to be most special collection, but do you have- That's like asking who your favorite child is. That's I know, so- put you in a tough spot. You gotta have a favorite basketball, a favorite running. You, you gotta have multiple game. favorites. That's, that's fine too. <laughs> well, for me, I mean, for speaking for apparel, um, my my favorite would be the oldest tracksuit that we have. Um, it dates to about 1978, and it's one of the earlier Reebok logos that we have. So when we're physically in the archive, I always love to show that piece off um, as well. Um, a fun product would be um a prototype for apparel that was donated um and it's it's a jacket but it's made out of actual parachute material um and that was um used to for a collaboration that ultimately came out as well um we have a really old running singlet that one of our colleagues actually found in paris at a thrift shop um, and he held on to it for a while, loved it a little bit. And he knew that the right place was the archive. He, he did tell us he put it on one last time before he knew that he could not touch it again. Um, so that's footwear for, for I, excuse me, apparel, but for footwear, my favorite, just because it's that personal history and brings up the memories is a pair of, I think it's 1990 or 1991, a pair of roller skates. And that just, I was, 
big into roller skating as a child. So just seeing that just brings back all of these memories. So th those are a few of my favorites from the collections. Very cool. Yeah, I I have a lot of favorites. I, it's it's hard to choose just one. Um, I always tend to gravitate towards the ones that have really unique stories to them. So one of my favorites is a 1960s track spike. Um, but it's unique in that there was some miscommunication with the order and the actual production of the shoe. And instead of a size nine adult track spike, they made a little baby track spike. And so just trying to picture like a three-year-old running around with like spikes in their shoes is is funny. So they ended up turning them into like salesman samples, but we have a few of those just little tiny little spikes that are just there. I love showing those ones off. Um, and then also the ones that are like extremely rare and we feel very grateful to be able to have in the collection. So like the Chanel Instapump Fury. Um, so those were only for the runway show in Paris and only the models got to wear those. So being able to have not only the silver color, but also the infamous black colorway is huge. And it feel very grateful to be able to say that I've gotten to, to touch those and process those and, and show those off. It's, it's amazing. So those are some of my favorites. A couple, not all. <laughs> of course not. Um, so what, I guess, what excites you about the future of the collection? I mean, obviously the future is bright. Um, and, and there's, it sounds like there's still so much to do, so much work to be done. Like what excites you about the future of the collection? I think, you know, right now we're really working on our storytelling. So I think that's super exciting for us as a team. So it's a way for us to really contextualize our collection. So we're not looking at footwear separately from apparel, separately from, you know, our advertisement. So it's really putting it all together to kind of get this overall view of what was happening at the time to tell the story for our colleagues, um, anybody from the designers to marketing um, can really um, find all of that useful. So that's exciting, I think. Yeah, for sure. And then like really coordinating that and being able to share that not only with our colleagues on site in Boston, but also our colleagues around the globe. So being able to connect worldwide is, is huge. That's awesome. That's great. Well, thank you both for taking time to do this. Um, it's, I'm personally so interested in this work and love the chance to talk with other people who are like-minded and, and passionate about this as well. Um, if people want to keep up with either of you, how's the best way to do that? So we do, we do have, we do have um, a team email, uh, which is at, which is the dot archive at Reebok.com. And then we do have Instagram. We don't have an official archive Instagram. There's not an official one, um, but we do utilize hashtag Reebok archive to kind of see some of the inside behind the scenes photos as well. And then we both have our own private Instagrams as well and LinkedIn always. Okay, LinkedIn is probably, probably a great place then. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you both, Stephanie, Holly, this has been awesome. It's, it's fun for me to get to know a little bit more about the work that you do and the collection. So thanks for taking some time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Highlander Podcast. For more conversations with outdoor leaders, subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, watch episodes on the Outdoor Product Design and Development YouTube channel, 
or on opdd.usu.edu slash podcast. Follow along on Instagram at USU Outdoor Product and let us know how you're enjoying the show.